You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Indians. This is your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. We actually have a lot of things to talk about on the show today relating to the Indians. Some old friends, some injury talk, a minor signing, and opening day and uh, what I think is a kind of a harbinger for this season in some regards. And we'll just start off right there with that. So over the years, opening day has kind of been a bit of a joke about the fact that so many fans complain um, about wanting tickets, whereas the rest of the year, it's easy. But everyone wants to get those opening day tickets. They want to head out and see the Indians as soon as possible. And opening day has always been one of those things that sells out in 15 minutes until this year. Now, even over the years, when before they started to cut down on the size of the stadium, they've removed thousands of seats. Uh, opening day always sold out. Like that was never an issue, even when there was, you know, close to ten thousand more seats um, for the Indians. This year, I had people telling me around like, let me look at the exact time date on this uh, tweet. Uh, opening day. This was two hours ago. So I am recording. Uh, at almost 9. So by 7 p.m., there were still tickets for opening day available. Now, this is up until this year. Uh, all I could think of was the fact that I don't think I'd ever heard of it lasting 15 minutes. And then this year, we still have tickets available this late. I'm going to... Uh, I mean, there, there's no real way to put it other than... I mean, this is setting up for the Indians to maybe have the worst attendance in baseball. If they're struggling this badly to sell out opening day, then I have little faith in their ability to move tickets this year. Um, why is it so low? Well, it's the third offseason in a row where there's really been nothing done except for the cutting of salary. They spent the entire offseason, while there were rumors all last offseason, uh, this offseason they did trade one of the best players in franchise history. Now I still make the case that, you know, Kluber is not the guy who was a few years ago, but you're still trading somebody of that value. And then just about everyone's favorite Indian has been on, you know, in trade talks, in trade talks, in trade talks, and it's just been never ending. And when they've discussed it, it's pretty much been that we all know he's going. It's just a matter of when. And I don't know how many people caught uh, Dolan's statements, but he didn't help his situation at all with his flippant nature and the way he's just kind of doubled down on the whole enjoy him thing. There's the sheer arrogance of someone making, you know, it, the old adage, uh, I'm going to butcher this, uh, and I'm trying to remember, I'm going to look up real quickly who it's from. Uh, I should know that, but, you know, drink deeply from the well of knowledge or not at all. Uh, or maybe it's the well of wisdom or not at all. The whole idea being that like a little bit of, of knowledge is dangerous um, and often leads to arrogance and foolhardiness. And that's what we've seen repeatedly from uh, Dolan in terms of his statements, him thinking he's somehow being cute or that he is, uh, you know, being cagey and funny and intelligent. Instead, he is just alienating a fan base that already disliked him. He is taking people like myself who have been the most ardent supporter and defender until this offseason and turning him against him. Listen to the statements I make. Listen to how negative they are. Listen to how uh, against Dolan I am. And then think how doubly damning that is by the fact that you're talking to someone who was time and time again the biggest defender. Time and time again, the guy who wrote articles titled things like, we have to talk about your lack of attendance that 
back when they owned um, Fox Sports Ohio, was it, before they sold that off? You know, that that ran on the front page of that website because it was so pro-ownership. So that guy who wrote those articles and was always harping about, you know, the bandwagon fan is now the guy saying such negative things about Dolan. And I don't think you can escape it. When you've gotten to the fact that you have managed to not just alienate, um, you know, some of the fans who are fair weather, who don't quite understand the mechanics of baseball or the economics of it. And when you're alienating those who have been, you know, your ardent defender, that is when you've really done something wrong. And that is where we are with Dolan. All of his cuteness, everything else, it's just, it comes off as a smug billionaire to a city full of, you know, that is not a city of a lot of millionaires. You know, there are some very well-to-do people in Cleveland. There are people of money, but a smug billionaire uh, crying about the fact that he can't afford uh, talented baseball players when he has a stadium that uh, was provided tax-free and a, you know, at the end of the day, a sports franchise is the absolute best place to park your money because you get to park it there and it's just going to appreciate in value quicker than any stock will with none of the risk. So I, I don't feel bad for our poor billionaires. Uh, I don't feel bad that he owns a small market team. I don't feel bad for him on any level. And every time he opens his mouth, it just makes me angrier and angrier as a fan. And I'll just, you know, to reiterate, it doesn't matter how many times I say it, it stands true. This is someone who up until six months ago defended him to the hilt. I will still say he's probably the best owner in Cleveland just because he gets out of the way of management and doesn't think, in spite of all of his failures, uh, that he still is somehow good when it comes to managing a team. This isn't, you know, the Haslams who are hearing the same story time and time again, and then they don't fix anything. This isn't Dan Gilbert, who has constantly thought he's the smartest guy in the room and who every single personnel decision has somehow blown up in his face. Uh, The best thing Dolan has done is put the smart people in place and gotten out of the way. But at the end of the day, I still, uh, his statements make him an owner that is impossible to like. Uh, it's, It's a situation where, you know, I grew up, in the 80s and 90s, my first owners were Ted Stepien and Art Modell. And, you know, I talked about on Twitter how Dan Gilbert and Jimmy Haslam are living up to that. And it's only because those two are living up to the lowest standard possible that Dolan gets to remain the top owner in this city. Uh, his best move, honestly, would be to shut the hell up and never speak again. Because every time he's come out, it makes it worse. And then it becomes fodder for others. And the wedge that's already there gets driven deeper. And the Cleveland Indians, for the first time I can recall, I mean, is it maybe in the history of Jacobs Field, have not sold out opening day within the first hour. And like I said, that bodes to the fact, that bodes of a team that might be the worst in attendance this year. Yes, you know, it, it is the other parts as well. It's the moving of Kluber. It is the issue with Lindor. But that also comes back to your owner. Um Maybe it's because of March and fear of cold, but I don't I don't buy that at all. It's Cleveland. I've seen fans bundle up in terrible weather. I remember freezing my tail off, you know, at a World Series game where I paid almost $300 for my ticket, and the place was still packed. Felt about 60, 40 Cubs fans at the time, but it was still packed. And that's just not, uh, doesn't appear to be the case. And when you want to say the why, I think it is, it's ownership and... I mean, I don't know who can really defend ownership at this point anymore, except for those who work there. And I I just want to always give this caveat. I think, you know, the people working there do an utterly amazing job. 
from top to bottom. I think it is a, a great organization. Um, I have nothing but great things to say about all levels, all parts, and everyone who does their job on the day-to-day with the Cleveland Indians. I just think that ownership has given them an impossible task that every time he opens his mouth gets harder and harder to do. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. Let's do some quick old friends alerts and then talk about some of the uh, injuries that have arisen already. Minor stuff, but still things we need to talk about and discuss so I don't get questions like, why isn't this guy playing? So let's talk about the first one. Uh, Mark, let's just go Scrabble. You all know who I'm talking about when I say Scrabble. Uh, I never, by the time I finally learned to spell his name correctly in tweets, uh, he had moved on. He signed a minor league deal with the Blue Jays. You never have enough lefties. It is harder for him because he is strictly a situational lefty. That's how he should be used, and that just does not have the value it once had. So we'll wish him well. He is joining, you know, people who were there when the Indians first acquired him. And then to me, what was really sad news today was the retirement of Lonnie Chisenhall. Uh, didn't play at all last year, even though he signed like a $3 million deal, $3 million deal with the Pirates. You know, he's just 31 years of age. He basically came out and said, I've got kids. I've made my money. I'm just going to stay home. And for his total career, he made about $18 million. Not bad, right? Um, Final year of arbitration, he made 5.8. That's as high as it got. Now, that isn't including his signing bonus, which I'm sure was seven figures. I'd have to go look it up back in the day. But most common batters, uh, I do kind of enjoy that Ryan Church is number one. If you don't remember Ryan Church, if I am correct, this was a former Indians outfielder who they traded away, and he became more successful um, post-trade, played a lot of good years. He went to Montreal, uh, had some good years with the Nationals, was rarely, no, I mean, peak. At age 26 and 101 games, a 118 OPS plus, 71 games, a 131, uh, 144, a 114, and then uh, 90, 107. So, you know, I, I don't remember a ton about Ryan Church. I don't know if injuries happened, and that's why he bounced around so much. But he was part, along with Mazer Arturis for Scott Stewart, who, uh, if you also recall as we go down this wormhole, was just absolutely terrible. You know, he had been an effective closer at one point in time for the uh, the Expos uh, in 2002. 2003, he was not good. He gets traded to the Cleveland Indians and is just a miserable failure in the back of the pen. Eventually gets shipped to the Dodgers that year. And... That 2004 season, he never made it back to the majors. Uh, as part of a conditional deal. So the, the Indians didn't even get anything when they shipped into the Dodgers. It was a conditional deal with no return. So Scott Stewart, I remember that. That was like, I'm trying to think who the other back-end piece was in 2004. They were like, these are going to be our good closers. And they were both awful, awful, awful. You know, And they had to go out and trade for Bob Wickman. Scott Stewart and... Oh, this is, I got to pause and look this up because it's going to drive me nuts. I'm sure it'll drive a few of you other ones nuts out there as well. So there are actually two guys they added. One was uh, Jerome Robertson, and I was very excited for this deal. He had finished seventh in the uh, the Rookie of the Year the year before as a lefty for the Houston Astros. Nowadays, I would have looked at his numbers and been like, yeah, he's not good at all. Uh, there's no way he's ever going to be good. And basically, he was lucky. A strikeout rate of 5.5, a walk rate of 3.6, a home run rate of 1.3, and a hit rate over 10. Uh, Yeah, that's pretty terrible. And the Indians basically took off any restrictions they had. uh, Or no, that was a different deal. I'm getting confused. And the Indians traded Luke Scott for him, who 
you know, was one of the better draft picks of the entire Shapiro era, a guy who was a ninth round pick out of Oklahoma State and turned into a solid regular uh, pretty much starting in 2006. He was already age 28. He never really got a shot in Cleveland. A lot of good years. I mean, a career OPS plus of 117. Oh, that stings. I didn't realize it was Luke Scott was the piece. I thought we just took the restrictions off of um, the one super fast uh, infielder whose name is escaping me right now. But yeah, Luke Scott turned into a really good hitter. Would have been nice on those uh, early 2000 Indian teams. You just you think about what they trotted out uh, in some of those parts and pieces. Yeah, that's that that's a stinger. Uh, for sure, that's one of the worst deals of, of that era, where a team that often made the right call made the very, very wrong call. And the other guy, the one that most people probably think about, Jose Jimenez. Uh, he was also a guy who had been a closer, came to Cleveland that year. Uh, at one point, he had 41 saves in 2002 with the Rockies, but again, someone who never missed bats. He didn't really walk anyone, but he was hit a lot. 2003, he was just terrible for the Rockies, not good at all. You know, he'd hit... 2002, 01, and 02, he had this solid stretch at age 26, 27, 28. Came to Cleveland, given a chance to close, got eight saves, uh, completely fell apart. And in the theory, the theory, in the theme of this, Jimenez and Stewart, the big bullpen additions, both never pitched in the majors again after that year. So Chisenhall, it's just a shame when he flamed out when he did. When you look at 2017, 82 games, 126 OPS plus, 880 OPS. 2018, only 29 games, 129 OPS plus, 846 OPS. Like, he seemed to be finally figuring it out. This was a guy whose left-handed swing was got him to be amongst the top, you know, 40 or so prospects in baseball at points in time. Uh, in a period where Indians' first-rounders routinely busted and never got to the majors, he got there. Um, came up around the same time as Kipnis. Those two kind of came through the system together. Uh, it's a shame. Like, age 29 was essentially when he retired, you know, it, he didn't play at all last year. So, uh, fare thee well, Lonnie Chisholm. It's, uh, it's a shame to see anyone that young have to call, call it quits. And let's talk about the Indians and some of the injury concerns that have popped up. So, you know, we've talked about Carrasco, we've talked about, uh, Clevenger, but let's, let's some other guys who aren't pitching right now. Uh, Emmanuel Classe has lat discomfort and Francona has stated if it was the regular season, he would pitch through it. I'm fine. Let the, the guy who gets, you know, upper 90s to triple-digit velocity rest a sore lat. Uh, we don't need him out there right now. Aaron Saval has a sore groin. Uh, he's a few days behind schedule. I'm not going to touch that. We'll just move on. That's why someone like Jeffrey Rodriguez is getting those opportunities right now since he's essentially the Indians' six starter. But, I mean, with Saval down plus the other guys. Uh, it's, you know, giving opportunity. And Daniel Johnson has an ankle sprain, and that is why we are not seeing him out there right now. So hopefully those guys will all work through it and we'll get a chance to see them later in the year. But what was interesting was with certain players not up there right now, it has opened the door for um, Nolan Jones to be invited to the Major League Camp as a non-roster invitee. He had surgery um, on a pinky, I believe it is. We're going to do another quick pause. I'll double-check the stats on that one. Yeah, so his surgery on a sore thumb, and he got back uh, to full strength ahead of schedule, really worked hard, and the Indians wanted to reward him. They also have a few guys, obviously, we've talked about who are hurt, um, so they needed some more guys up there, and why not reward your top prospect? We also have to, uh, you know, wonder if... Uh, 
how quickly he will get. If we will see him this year uh, in the majors, I do think there's that possibility. We kind of know what he is. I apologize for that in the background. Um, all of that was from Mandy Bell, who reported that, just to get it correct. So that's kind of where we are. Uh, yeah, I didn't go into the stats. I think Lindor hit a home run today. Um, Bieber's going to get a start soon. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's hard. I'm, You know, I, I want to say good things, um, but it's spring training. Uh, I do – one other thing that came out of a Mandy Bell article is that uh, Zach Plesak saying he has a new grip on his curve – uh, so let's see how that goes. That's interesting when you see someone changing the grip on one of their pitches at this point. So, uh, you know, like I said, any change to grip or how someone throws uh, throws their pitches is something that stands out. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we are for the Indians. Um, we're going to sit back, see who gets healthy, who is not healthy. Uh, we'll, oh, you know what? I lied. I completely forgot. There was a very minor addition to the Cleveland Indians. And let's handle that right now. Ty Boyles was added. Um, second guy from the Reds. I talked about Zach Weiss, who was another non-roster invitee. Uh, Ty Boyles was an 11th round pick in 2013. He got the $100,000 signing bonus, which is a day three pick, was close to max. He was at Quartz Hills, California. Uh, high school teammate of Jonas Wyatt, who the Indians would take two years later. Give a pretty significant bonus to in uh, like round six or seven. Boyles was a first baseman and an outfielder there. His listed height weight is 6'3", 270. Big guy. Now, he's not had the most success in the minor leagues, if we're just being honest. You know, the walk rate's lit over three, a strikeout rate under eight. Home run rate under, you know, under .7 is pretty solid. A hit rate under point, uh, under nine. It's good stuff. Nothing great. Mostly working out of the pen. He is a lefty, so it gives him another left-handed arm. What I thought was interesting was, you know, this is a guy who I mentioned was a uh, a first baseman in high school. He was a two-way guy. And last year, for the first time in his minor league career, the Reds had him hit. Now, 27 games, he only got six at-bats. But in those six at-bats, three hits, two doubles, uh, one walk, looking total, you know, only seven plate appearances. But it is interesting that, you know, he is big, he's strong. It's obvious that there'd be a pretty decent chance that there's some power in that bat. Right-handed bat, left-handed pitcher. Um, I'll be curious to see if the Indians let him roll out next year and do a dual role. You know, we're seeing more teams kind of take that chance, take that risk. And especially with the way that we've kind of changed the rules where you can't have that lefty specialist anymore um, unless it's like the start of an inning or the end of an inning. i got to dig into the specifics. But a guy who could maybe also hit um, could you know, give some more value, some potential to make the roster. I thought it was an interesting non-roster uh, invitee who will likely end up in AAA. I'm very curious to see if the Indians let him be a two-way guy. Uh, I'm also very curious why the Reds all of a sudden decided to, and then when they did and he actually hit well, why it was just the seven plate appearances and why not more. So yes, Ty Boyles, the newest uh, newest addition. Not the newest addition to camp, that's Nolan Jones, who we already talked about, but that is it for today's show we did not because there's so much going on get a chance to talk all time tribe we will talk about that tomorrow uh maybe look at some of the fun numbers we've seen early in the college baseball season as well give a little bit of a a draft minute or two i won't say minute because we all know i can't stick to that 
Um, as always, I want to thank everyone for listening. We might also dig into some more stats on the podcast. I, th- I thought it was interesting when I was doing kind of a conference call with the Lockdown Sports people and looking at some of the stats that uh, Cleveland was the third highest market for our downloads. Uh, it is not the highest market. We don't get the majority of our downloads from Cleveland. Uh, we don't get the majority of our downloads from the state of Ohio. So uh, I want to thank the fans everywhere, really. Uh, Greensboro, North Carolina in particular, that had the highest, that is our number one hotspot. But we can have some more fun with uh, with that and some of the numbers. But who knew? Uh, I appreciate it, Greensboro. You guys are, are, are number one in my heart right now. Since you're number one in my rankings, I'm easily bought. If uh, another city wants to jump up and uh, download and play and listen, uh, you can take that top spot from Greensboro. But for now, Greensboro, number one in my heart. I want to thank you all, though, no matter where you are, just a little bit more if you're from Greensboro. This has been Jeff Ellis, and as always, go Tribe.